Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. What is your why? Why did you even get out of the bed this morning? Why did you eat what you ate? Why did you wear what you wore? Why did you come here? Other than the fact that I would fire you and hire someone else if you didn't show up for work, but not that, the big why. We're certainly not here to just sell We are here to connect. Life is about people. Advertising is about illuminating how our products and services will improve people's lives. Now, how do we do that? Love, time, death. Now these three abstractions connect every single human being on earth. Everything that we covet, everything that we fear not having, everything that we ultimately end up buying is because at the end of the day, we long for love, we wish we had more time, and we fear death. Love, time, death. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Grace Crossing Church as we begin our brand new series, Got at the Box Office. Before we jump in, though, this morning, we want to do a scientific poll. So by applause, how many of you here are rooting this morning for the New England Patriots to win the Super Bowl? All right, how many of you, how many of you here uh, are rooting for any other team that plays the New England Patriots to win the Super Bowl? So there you have it. Uh, my team, where I grew up in Eastern Pennsylvania, uh, close to Philadelphia, the Philadelphia Eagles are gonna win their first Super Bowl today. Mark it down, okay? Mark it down. You can stone me next week if I'm not correct. <laughs> well, we're so glad you're here this morning as we jump into the series, Got at the Box Office. So this annual series that we do, we actually look back on movies for the previous year, and we actually try to discover the God theme and the God message and the truth from God in the middle uh, of those movies. Now, this is not unlike what Paul the Apostle did. When Paul the Apostle was speaking to a primarily non-Jewish audience, he did not use the Jewish prophets to build a case for Christ. When he was speaking to a non-Jewish audience, he used their poets to actually get their minds and, and get their thoughts to turn heavenward. And so what we're doing is we're using our modern day culture, in this case, Hollywood, to try to actually discover the messages of God in the middle of some of last year's box office hits. So our very first movie that we're going to unpack here this morning is a movie called Collateral Beauty. And here's the plot. An advertising uh, executive actually loses his daughter and in the midst of losing his daughter, he loses his own way in life. He can no longer bear to live the life because he is grieving so deeply that it's affecting everything about the way he sees himself and the way that he sees others. And so to, in order to cope, he decides to write letters to three abstractions 
time, love, and death. And I love the way the movie begins. The movie begins with asking a very profound question that every single one of us at some point should work to answer. And the question is simply this. Why do you do what you do? What is your why? Have you ever thought about it? Have you ever asked yourself, why do I get up in the morning? And what is it that wakes me up? And what is it that keeps me awake at night? What motivates me to do the things that I do? Well, a few years back, I went through a a leadership coaching experience. And as part of that, I was to answer the question, what is my why? Now, I thought I had a pretty good handle on this. I thought I knew what my why was, but I found myself really drilling down much deeper on this than I had ever drilled down before. And when I finally got to my why, I was actually pretty shocked. I was pretty surprised at what really motivates me, what really in life drives me to make the decisions I make and to take the direction that I take. And so what I discovered is my why is to prove my worth. I was actually somewhat shocked and embarrassed. And I had to admit that really my why is to actually prove my worth to myself and prove my worth to others. And that in so much of my life has driven the choices that I've made and the decisions that I've made. And I think that in my own life, I'm continuing to unpack that one, to bring God into that and to actually have have him help me redeem my why and find the actual purpose that God wants me to live for. And I think for every one of us here, if we're honest about our why, we may be surprised at what we're gonna discover. So there's a lot of ways you can go about figuring out your why and a lot of questions you can ask. This morning, what I wanna do is I wanna give you three ways to find your why. Three ways that I think you can discover your why. They're actually fairly easy but you may wanna write them down because this morning I'd encourage you to go back and unpack these with the Lord and to ask yourself some honest questions about these three things. There are actually three abstractions that I think tell the story of our why. Here they are. The use of my time, the object of my love, and the message of my death. Let me say those again. The use of my time, the object of my love, and the message of my death. At the end of the day, time, love, and death are not just abstractions. They are not just things that unite us all together as human beings. The reality is those three entities actually tell a story. They tell a very profound story. And each one of them can make a difference on helping us to discover our why. So let's unpack them today. First of all, the use of my time. In a sense, every one of us here are living on borrowed time. It is one of the most precious commodities God has given us, and yet it's the one that most often we take for granted. 
We assume that we'll have a never-ending supply of this precious gift. And that's exactly what it is. According to the Bible, time is a gift. It is not a given right. There's a difference. Time is a gift. It is not a given right. And so in this movie, the protagonist actually gets an answer to his letters. He gets a visit from time who actually challenges him to think about what he's doing with his time. Let me ask you before we watch the scene, if you were to write a letter to time today, what would you say? More importantly, what is it time would say to you? What would time say about you? Let's roll the reel. I don't think any of us here would say that we don't value time. I don't think any of us here would say that we want to waste time. And yet I think how often in our life as we look at our time and how we manage our time, I think it tells a story. It actually speaks to what we value most. It speaks to our why. And Paul the Apostle knew this. So in his letter to the Ephesian church, here's what he says in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. Be careful, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. I like the way the contemporary English version captures verse 16. It says this, make every minute count. I think the sum total of our lives is going to be measured by how we manage the minutes. The sum total of our lives as we look back on them will be really defined by how we've managed and stewarded every precious minute that God gives to us. And so the question this morning is, How do we do this? How do we make the most of our time? How do we live in such a way that the time that we spend can speak to what our greatest values are? What's most significant? Well, I think there are two ways we can do this that are significant. If you wanna make every minute count, if you wanna make the most of your time, the first thing I would encourage you to do is is honor the margin. 
honor the margin. I learned early as a child in elementary school that margins matter. That if you ignore the margins on a piece of paper, if you simply ignore those margins, you will get deduction on your paper. And so as a kid, I got it drilled into my head that, listen, the paper has margins. You need to stay within the margins and stay within the lines. Another way to say this is not only do we need to honor margins, but we need to live within limits. We need to live within limits. So Richard Swenson wrote a book entitled The Overload Syndrome. And in the book, he talks about margin. Here's what he says. Margin is the space between our load and our limits. It is the distance between vitality and exhaustion. It's our breathing room, our reserves. Margin is the opposite of overload. He continues, modern day life devours margin. If you're homeless, we offer you shelter. If you're penniless, we have food stamps. If you're breathless, we connect you to oxygen. But if you're marginless, we give you one more thing to do. Margin is having breath left at the top of the staircase. It's having money left at the end of the month, sanity left at the end of adolescence. Marginless is not having time to finish the book you're reading on stress. Margin is having time to read it twice. Marginless is fatigue. Margin is energy. Marginless is red ink. Margin is black ink. Marginless is hurry. Margin is calm. Marginless is anxiety. Margin is security. Marginless is culture. Margin is counter culture. Marginless is reality. And margin is remedy. Marginless is the disease of our time and margin is its cure. Now listen, Jesus was the master of margin. So often we read in the gospels about Jesus getting away from the crowds, getting away from the heavy demands on his schedule, and Jesus spending time with his father getting recalibrated. And often he would come back and people would say to him, Jesus, where have you been? People have been looking for you. See, there was always a demand on Jesus' time. There was always a demand on his schedule. But Jesus knew something significant that all of us need to learn. If we don't control our schedule, and if we don't control our time, time will control us. If we don't prioritize our schedule, someone else will prioritize it for us. There will always be enough to absorb every waking moment and every breathing moment here on this earth. And what we must do is we must learn to create margin. We've got to create space. So I want you to think of margin as the oxygen that fuels your soul. The oxygen that fuels your soul. Never been a Boy Scout, but I love camping. And so I learned early on how to build a campfire. I didn't do it right at first because I thought all you needed to build a campfire 
was a spark and some wood. But what I learned is there is a third ingredient that is essential to a fire. You've got to have oxygen. You've got to have breathing space. In other words, when you stack the logs, you've got to put enough margin and space between the logs to allow the fire to breathe. And when we don't do that in our personal life, when we don't create enough space and margin in our life, here's what happens. The flame gets extinguished. We begin to die inwardly and something happens to us that God never intended. What is it God intended? Well, what God intended was what he created in the very beginning. Because in the very beginning, the very first margin God ever created was the margin between our work and our walk. God creates the Sabbath and says, I am creating the Sabbath as a gift to you. Why? Because God knew that we desperately need breathing room. We need space. And this is one of the most neglected Gifts that we have been given by God and we neglect it to our own detriment. When we don't live with the margin of the Sabbath, we do it to the violence of our own soul. And so God creates this tremendous gift. Listen, not as a religious law. He creates it as a spiritual lifeline. He says, I want to give you something that will keep you breathing well, that will keep you filled. It is my opportunity to breathe my spirit back into your spirit. And so he creates Sabbath. A 24-hour period of time that we set aside each week and we recognize that we do it because we desperately need it. Sabbath is a chance to catch our breath. Life is deflating. Sabbath is designed to be inflating. Jewish rabbis actually said this about Sabbath. They said that the Sabbath is giving a person's soul a chance to catch up to their body. Sometimes our body is moving at such a fast pace that our soul is way behind somewhere, the true us. And what God wants to do is get an integration and get a togetherness between our body and our soul, and he does that through the Sabbath. And here's what I've learned in my life. I've learned that the best way to manage the minutes of my day and to make sure that I'm making the most of my time is to go at God's pace. When I run life at my pace, I get into trouble. But when I run life at God's pace, I find God's peace. In fact, there's something God spoke to my heart recently, etched it deeply on my heart, and it really has to do with this idea of Sabbath and rest and margin. Here's what I felt impressed with. We experience the peace of God to the degree that we trust in the pace of God. We experience the peace of God to the degree that we trust in the pace of God. And what God wants us to do is learn to honor the margin. The second way to make the most of your time is put first things first. Put first things first. Jesus said this in Matthew's gospel, chapter six, verse 33. More than anything else, put God's work and do what he wants. Put God's work first and do what he wants. 
then the other things will be yours as well. What Jesus is saying here is this. Jesus is saying, make sure you get the big rocks in first. Because if you don't get the big rocks in first, you will never get them in and squeeze them in to your life. You know why most of us in life never accomplish the goals and the dreams that God places in our heart? I believe that we don't because we put second things first. The reason we never become all that God wants us to be is because we put other priorities ahead of that priority. And we, re we relegate God and the priority of serving him down to second or third or fourth place, sometimes last place in, in the area of priority. And what God really wants us to do is say, you know what? You've got choices to make. In fact, because time is finite, I want you to think of every choice as a trade-off. You are trading one thing for another thing. You are trading the good for the better and the better for the best. And so if trade-offs are choices and every one of us have to make choices, then I want you to make the best choice. Because don't look now, but you will make choices in life and so will I and our choices will make us. They will tell a story. They will define who we are. In fact, they will tell the story of our why. What was it that really motivated us? So time. The second, I think, abstraction that actually points to our why is the object of our love. The object of our love. If you were to write a letter to love today, what would you say to it? More importantly, what would love say about you? about the priority of your love. So back to collateral beauty. Our protagonist has put all of his energy and all of his love into one object. And when he lost his daughter, he had no love left to give to himself or to anyone around him. He became disillusioned and he became detached from reality. He could see no love in his loss. And what happened is he had an object of love that absorbed and consumed every part of his love. And when that object was removed, he felt betrayed. Watch the scene. Trust me. Trust you. Trust you? Yes. I did trust you. And you betrayed me. I saw you every day in her eyes. And I heard you in her voice when she laughed. And I felt you inside of me when she called me daddy. And you betrayed me. You broke my heart. No. I'm in all of it. I'm the darkness and the light. I'm the sunshine and the storm. Yes, you're right. I was there in her laugh. But I'm also here now in your pain. I'm the reason for everything. I am the only why. Don't try and live without me, Howard. Please don't. Have you ever felt betrayed by love?
You ever felt betrayed by a person that you loved? You ever felt betrayed by a promise that came from love? Some of you sit here this morning and you recognize and identify with the feeling of feeling betrayed. And I want you to know this morning that every time we make the highest object of our love a person or their promise, we can set ourselves up for great disappointment. But every time we make God the object of our love, our highest priority of love, God never disappoints. And, and, and so in life, I think we have to ask ourselves, what is the object of my love? Because the object of my love is going to tell a story. It's actually going to point to our why. Why do we do what we do? Why do we make the decisions we make? Why do we make the choices we make? What is the love that drives us? By the way, that scene, the script of that scene was ripped right out of Scripture. Because listen to the words of Paul in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. This is both a statement of faith and it is a statement of fact. In other words, Paul here is not just blowing smoke and saying this is a pie-in-the-sky idea that sounds really good. Paul is saying, I have personally experienced this. And I have rock-solid confidence that what I'm about to say to you, you can take to the bank. All things work together for good. Now notice, to those who love God. Don't miss that. What Paul here is suggesting is that when we make anything other than God the highest object of our love, we are going to find ourselves feeling betrayed. But when God is the highest object of our love, what we will discover is that God is good even when things are not. We will find that God is good even when things go south in our life. We will find that God is good even when circumstances are not good. Because God's promise is that he will what? Cause all things to work together for our good. That means God will take good events and bad events. Good circumstances, bad circumstances. And what will God do? He's gonna weave them together. He's gonna weave them together in a beautiful fabric that's going to tell a story about how he's been at work in our lives. As I look back on my life, I can tell you every painful experience I've ever had, God has worked together for a good outcome. I'm so thankful that God's promises, you make me the highest object of your love and you can rest assured that you will never feel betrayed. Paul goes on to ask a really powerful, profound question. Verse number 35, here's what he says. Can anything ever separate us from God's love? Can anything ever separate us from the love that is found in God's son, Jesus Christ? Can anything ever separate us? Before we answer that, let me, let me turn it around in reverse. 
can anything ever separate us from God? Well, truth is we allow lots of things, don't we? We often allow trouble, calamity, persecution, hunger, feeling destitute, being in danger or threatened with death. We, we allow those things to separate us, to make us question at times. And I, I gotta ask you a question. Why would we allow anything to separate us when he promises there is nothing that will ever separate us from Christ's love? He goes on to say very clearly that nothing will ever separate us from the love that is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Job in the Old Testament lost nearly everything he had. Everything of value and worth to him. He makes a pretty profound statement in Job chapter 2, verse number 10, when he says, should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? He's actually asking a rhetorical question here. He's talking to his own wife who is saying to him, you are a fool. Give up your integrity in God and just allow your life to be over. And he said, listen, should we accept good things from God and not tough things? Because God is trying to make us into something that we do not even see today. God is trying to fashion something in us that we cannot even see. At the end of the day, I think the object of our love tells a tremendous story. And if we keep the object of our love, the right object, God, we will serve and we will do on this earth what matters most to him. And with God's help, we'll do it for the right reasons. There's one final way that I think we can figure this out not just the use of our time and the object of our love, but this final one's perhaps the most significant. And that's the message of my death. The message of my death. Because of time, we're gonna pass on one final clip, but in this clip, the protagonist gets a visit. He gets an answer to his letter about death. So let me ask you today, if you were to write a letter to death today, what is it you would say? More significantly, what would death, your death, say about you? Now, I know this is not a popular topic. I recognize nobody wants to talk about death or think about death. I know I don't. And most of us never even think about death, especially our own death, because it's really uncomfortable. Until something happens in your life that reminds you that it's just a matter of time, that it's the inevitable. So not too long ago, I got a letter in the mail. And 20 years ago, I took out a term life insurance policy and I got a letter in the mail saying, guess what, your 20 years is up. Your term life policy is about to expire. And when I got the letter, I reached out to my financial advisor and I said, listen, can you uh, take a look at my financial situation and take a look at the risk or exposure to my family in the event something would happen to me. In other words, without this life insurance policy, do a stress test on my finances. 
He said, let me do that and I'll get back with you. And we talked on the phone uh, just a few days later and he said, well, let me walk through this with you. He said, I've got several illustrations that I'd like to use to show you what kind of stress there would be on your family and on your finances. He said, here in the first illustration, I've got you dying off at age 95. I said, okay, that sounds really good to me. That's cool. 95 sounds like a good long life. He said, now in the second illustration, I got you dying off at age 90. I can live with that. 90's not too bad. Now he said, in the final illustration that I want to show you, I've got you dying a premature death. That stopped me. My head starts spinning and I said, listen, what is it you mean by premature death? He goes, well, in this illustration, I've got you dying off on December the 31st, 2018. I really hope he is a financial advisor and not a prophet, Okay. We don't even think about death until we're forced to do so. So let me ask, how many of you here have a life insurance policy? At least one. Can I see your hands? We all do, right? Most of us have them because we know they're significant. We know they're important. And yet we get them and we think very little about them. But here, unlike every other insurance policy you'll ever get, that's one you'll cash in on someday. Because it is only a matter of time. And there's a lot of things the Bible teaches about death. The Bible teaches that death is a consequence. It is a consequence of sin. The Bible teaches that death is separation. Two aspects. Separation of our soul from our body and separation of our soul from God if we're not in relationship with Christ. The Bible teaches that death is also an opportunity. It is a gift given by God. Listen to what Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift, the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. So often when the New Testament writers spoke about death, they actually call it sleep. Why do they call it sleep? Because to the New Testament writers, death was not permanent. Not permanent in the sense of our life. They write that it's sleep in the sense that it is the movement from one scene to another scene. The curtain falls and the curtain instantaneously rises on a brand new stage. And what the New Testament writers understood is that death is a tremendous gift given to us by God in the sense that it actually sets us up to live forever in his presence. Now, there's one final thing about death, a final aspect that I want you to hear as we close this morning. Our death is a story. Death may silence your voice, but it will not end your story. In fact, your story will really be told in stereo and in full color one day. Have you ever gone to a funeral and sat there and went, heard them talking about the person who had deceased and thought to yourself, I must be in the wrong funeral. That isn't the person I knew. We've been there. But have you ever been in a funeral and nobody had to say a word? Because every word that they said, you already knew. That was the person you knew. They lived that kind of life. I want you to think of your death as a final message. 
Because at our death, there's going to be a powerful story told. It's going to be the story of your life. It is going to answer the question of your why. It will actually reveal once and for all what your why really was. And so my challenge to us today is that we take these three abstractions, time, love, and death, and we ask ourselves a question. What is my why? Just look at your time. Just look at the object of your love and just fast forward and ask yourself, what is it I want to hear on that day? Now back up to where you are today. The good news is you still have time to change the script. There is still time to live for the right why. 1 Corinthians 13, I love this verse. Verse number eight, love never dies. Time as we know it will end. Human love will end. But love that's for the right purpose and toward the right object will never die. Bow your heads, please. Let me pray. As I pray this morning, I want to pray specifically for two groups of people here today. First of all, I want to pray for those that are here that do not have the confidence and the assurance today that you would spend eternity in God's presence. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, which simply means we're all going to experience a physical death, but some of us might experience a spiritual death as well. And if we are dead today in our own sin, what we need is we need God to bring us alive, and he can do that. He wants to do that. And he does that by us simply accepting his free gift of eternal life and saying, God, I want it. I need it. I can't live my wife for the right reason unless I have you. And that's the reality. So this morning, with your heads bowed and eyes, because if you're here and you want to give your heart, your life to Christ, and you want Jesus to be your savior this morning, you want to accept the free gift of God's love for you, just lift up your hand and you can put it right back down. If that's you this morning, just say, I want to receive God's gift of love this morning, and I want to receive his full forgiveness. Yeah, there are several. Any, any others would like to say, that's me. Pray for me this morning. Remember me in prayer. Yeah. Thank you so much. You can put your hands down. Secondly, if you're here this morning and you would say, listen, I want to know my why, and I want to live it for the right reason. I don't want to just know what it is, but I want to make sure that the purpose of it, the focus of it, is motivating me in the right way. And you say this morning, just pray for me. I'm not sure I know my why, but I want to figure it out. If that's you, lift up your hand and let me, let me see it. I just want to pray for those here this morning that would say, I want God's help in figuring out my why here this morning. Thank you so much. Let's stand together and let me pray. bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, I want to just thank you for the tremendous gift that you've given to us. I want to thank you for the gift of time. What a precious resource. I want to thank you for the gift of love and most of all the ability in our own will and our own choices to be able to put our love toward anything that we would so desire. And yet, God, our heart 
here this morning is that we want our love to be focused on the right object. Because when we love you first and we love you most, then we can love everyone else in our life better. I can love my wife better. I can love my kids better. I can love my grandkids better. I can love my friends and my colleagues better. I can love my neighbors better. But if I don't love you first and I don't love you most, then I'm not gonna love others the way you want me to. So help me. Help me to make you my highest, the highest object of my love today. And God, I also wanna thank you for death. We don't need to fear death. Because according to scripture, we that know Christ as our savior, death has no sting, it has no power. And so we don't have to live our lives in fear about death. What we wanna do is live our lives so that our death can tell a story about our life and about our why. That actually speaks volumes about what we lived for here on this earth. God, help us, I pray this morning, to be able to find our why it matters by taking our time and love and even our death and thinking about what it will say about who we are. Help us to make whatever course corrections we may need to make to honor the margin, to put you first and to put your priorities first in our life. We just thank you so much, God, for your love. You spared no expense in your love for us. Help us not to give you our leftovers, but help us to give you our best as well. We thank you, God, for your presence. We thank you for your word here today. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great afternoon. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.